You're listening to the Northside Christian Church Sermon Podcast. These teachings are recorded at our weekly Sunday morning gatherings in Springfield, Missouri. For more about our church, service times, and how to connect, visit northsidechristianchurch.net. You know, Northside, most people, they've never shared the gospel with anyone. They've never baptized anyone. They've never made a disciple of someone. Even though Jesus' words were that we would go and make disciples and baptize them and teach them, for a lot of people, they don't feel prepared. They don't feel equipped. They don't feel ready to do that. They haven't done it. They haven't had that experience. And that is why today, and I want to invite you to this, we are having disciple-making trainings this afternoon. Trainings 1, 2, 3, and 4 are happening today. And I I really feel like those coming to 2, 3, and 4 really know about this. I mean, they've been hearing about it, getting invitations to come, that kind of thing. But there may be some of you here today, and you've been hearing about these trainings over the last several months, but you haven't gone to one yet, at least not yet. And I just want you to know, today is an opportunity. Today's a day from 2.30 to 5.30. Uh, You can come and hear about God's heart and God's plan and about how you can share God's story and how you could share your story. And it's going to be fun and it's going to be interactive. It's not just lecture-based where you just sit there and listen. It's not like that. And and it can't be because it's from 2.30 to 5.30 on a Sunday afternoon. Now, we will have water and coffee to help sustain you. But um, it's fun and it's interactive. And I just want to invite you to come. Maybe you're watching online right now and this afternoon you can make it. Come and... For those of you who have not yet been to session one, it'll be right over here in room 261, right off of entrance three. Caleb and Alyssa Killingsworth, they're going to kill it. Killingsworth is going to kill it today, uh, leading us through that, because they went through this just a couple months ago, and now they're going to be leading this session. And we want to invite you to come and be a part of that today for these trainings. And so I just wanted to mention that. We're really excited about what God is doing through this. And of course, those of you coming to two, three, and four, we're excited about that as well. And, and I, I just, I'm just praying, praying you'll come today. Well, you know, I was in college when I realized for the first time I had a vision problem. Uh, I couldn't see the whiteboard. I was straining to see what was going on. Uh, I was uh, an athlete playing basketball. Uh, the rim was a little easier to see than writing on the board, but I realized, man, I, that was when I realized I needed a correction. And that was when I got my first prescription. And it was solving several things. Stigmatism, nearsightedness. I mean, I'm sure there was a host of other things too. But, but that was the moment in college that really, that, that was a change in my life when it came to, to vision and what all of that would be like. Unfortunately, it would actually be, I, I think, some years later when I came to terms with the fact that I had another vision problem. Uh, only this vision problem wasn't so easily correctable with a lens correction because uh, the only way to correct this was, was going to be with a heart correction, a heart adjustment. Because I think it was probably years later, I began to realize I'm not seeing people the way Jesus sees people. And I'm not noticing needs and noticing people the way Jesus noticed people. I think I began to realize there's a difference here between what I'm seeing and what I'm noticing and what Jesus seems to see and notice, especially when you look in Scripture. That my issue with my physical eyes was was myopia, nearsightedness. Opia means a visual disorder. 
That was more easily corrected than the disorder that was going on when I wasn't seeing the way Jesus saw. Aaron Chambers writes in a book that was entitled, He Eats with Sinners. Aaron Chambers says it this way. He says, our problem is not seeing like Jesus did opia. That's our problem. Not seeing like Jesus did opia. We got a visual disorder because we're not seeing like Jesus saw. We're not noticing what Jesus noticed. And, and I know that we tend to notice things that we are looking for. We tend to notice things that we're thinking about. We more quickly notice it, see it, respond to it. It's, it's kind of like years ago, I was in need of a vehicle. And my father-in-law graciously and generously uh, sold me his Chevy Avalanche. I, I didn't know a lot about avalanches. Obviously, it was, the first, it was the nicest vehicle I'd ever owned at that moment. And so I began driving an avalanche. And, and something happened uh, where suddenly, everywhere I looked in town, I saw an avalanche. They appeared out of nowhere, suddenly. And I don't think it was so much that they weren't there all along. It was just that when I began walking out and looking for my avalanche, sitting in the parking lot, I began to notice all over town these avalanches, many of that even looked like the one I had that I had never noticed before. They were there, I just didn't see them. It sometimes is when we begin to see things, look for things, that we really begin to notice them. Jesus often saw others that I wouldn't have seen and that you wouldn't have seen. His vision for lost people was just spot on. And the reason was because he was thinking about lost people. He was looking for lost people. He was seeking to engage lost people. And there's this great example I want us to look at today in Luke chapter 19. So if you have a Bible or device, let's open up that to that together. Yes, we're going to have the scripture on our screens. But I think as we go through this, you're going to want to look back at your text. So in your Bible, in your device, look at Luke chapter 19. And as you're opening up, looking for that, we come to this encounter when Jesus is walking into the town of Jericho. He's passing through. And the most notorious sinner in Jericho is Zacchaeus, at least from the Jews' perspective. He was a betrayer of God. He was a betrayer of his own people. He served the Romans. The Romans were vicious, and they had overtaken the entire known world with violence and oppression. We know from later New Testament scriptures, they would come to this place where if you didn't honor and, and worship Caesar, then they would actually persecute you or, or kill you and, and enforce that. The Romans recruited tax collectors to force the Jews to pay taxes, which obviously would, would help fund their occupation. It would fund their ventures, their army, and everything that they did, which the Jews despised. And then as if that wasn't enough, the taxes were excessive. You had tax collectors who would not only charge what the Romans were charging, but then they would charge a little more to line their own pockets. They were getting rich off their own people. And then on top of that, you have Zacchaeus, who was the chief tax collector, which means he was over the other tax collectors. He was chiefly responsible. People despised him more than anyone. He was part of the most powerful governmental authority in Jericho. This is Zacchaeus. And I want us to read from this text, this encounter that happened. And if you would stand as we read God's word together, let's read from Luke chapter 19. We're going to read verses 1 through 10. And let's stand as we read this text. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was wealthy. 
He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and they began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and he said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Lord, your word has been given to us so that we would hear it and we would obey it. So Lord, we pray now that you would give us eyes to see what you want us to see. You would give us ears to hear what you want us to hear. You would help us to look at this with with a new lens, from a new spectacle, that we could see the speck, the sin to avoid, the promise to claim, that we would see the, the example to follow and the command to obey. Help us to see these things. And not just to see them, but to do them. And so Lord, we pray right now that as we reflect on your word, that you would impress upon our hearts what you would have us to do today, that we'd be obedient to it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people say, amen. All right, you may be seated. Thank you. The text says to us that Zacchaeus wanted to see who Jesus was. It was Zacchaeus who wanted to see who Jesus was. That doesn't seemed to lead me to think that Zacchaeus was interested in following Jesus or believing in Jesus. or He wanted to see who he was. Perhaps he'd heard about the miracles that had happened up the road before he got there. Perhaps he had heard about an encounter with a man by the name of Levi, whose name would be changed to Matthew, who Jesus said, follow me. And he left and followed Jesus. And, and he held a great banquet for Jesus at his home. And perhaps he heard about this and was just as shocked as the religious leaders were that Jesus would go and eat with sinners and have a meal with sinners, and go into the home of sinners. Perhaps he was shocked and just wanted to know, who was this man? He wanted to see who Jesus was. He was interested in this. Maybe these were the things that caught his attention. So he wanted to see who he was. So he worked hard to climb a sycamore fig tree. This kind of a tree has sycamore leaves with uh, these figs on the tree. They were known to have short stumps, which was very helpful for a man who also had a short stump. These trees were known to have their branches coming from low on the ground. Children could climb them. Seemed appropriate. As Zacchaeus was known to be quite short, not able to see. So he climbs this tree because he wants to get a glimpse of Jesus to see who he was. He was intent on seeing Jesus. But what captures me as we read this is how Jesus was intent on seeing Zacchaeus. I, I know Zacchaeus was intent on seeing Jesus. He runs ahead, he climbs a tree. But it appears that Jesus was more intent on seeing Zacchaeus than even Zacchaeus was on seeing Jesus. Because in Luke 19, verse 5, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up. He looked up and made eye contact with Zacchaeus. Jesus saw him. And Zacchaeus needed to be seen. He needed to be valued. He needed to be noticed. He needed to be engaged. We must see people where they are 
We must see people right where they are. Do you, like Jesus, see the crowds and not just have compassion on them, but see them as a sheep without a shepherd? Do you, like Jesus, see a rich young ruler who Jesus knew was not going to follow him? And yet it says Jesus loved him. Do you, like Jesus, look to someone like Zacchaeus, who's in the midst of sin and evil ways and frauding people, and instead of looking away from him, actually lean into him, look to him, engage him? Romans 5.8 says that God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were yet still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Even while we were still ugly and messy and dead in our sins and acting in our evil ways, Jesus pursued us. Jesus loved us. Jesus engaged us. Jesus looked for us. We must see people where they are, just like Jesus does, and care about that, and notice that. Sometimes the reason we don't see that, sometimes the reason we don't notice that, is because we're just not thinking about them that much. We're not looking for them. We're not engaging them. We're we're not noticing them. And yet that's a heart problem that needs to be solved. We need to see people where they are and not just see people where they are. We must go where people are. We must go where people are. Even though Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus, Jesus refused to let Zacchaeus take all the initiative. Jesus came to the place where Zacchaeus was. He looked up and he said, come down immediately. Right now, come down. I'm going to your house today. It wasn't so much a question as it is like a command, like I'm going to your house. If that happened to you today, I would imagine for a lot of you in this room, that would be like your worst nightmare come true today because this morning you, you thought to yourself, am I gonna load the dishwasher now or after church this afternoon before I go to the disciple-making trainings at 2.30? And you decided you were gonna do it this afternoon, you know, after church and And if Jesus walked up to you today and said, come immediately, we're going to your house right now, your first thought would be like, whoa, Jesus is coming to my house. You're actually like, he's coming to my house, oh no. I guess my worst nightmare, it's gonna be a mess. I haven't put the dishes in. You're thinking all this. But Zacchaeus, it says, he he welcomed him gladly. He could not have been more thrilled that Jesus would show interest in him, value him, care about him, show that he was important and someone that he wanted to relate to and get to know. This, for Zacchaeus, was a powerful moment for him. And Jesus would use it in a powerful way. And everybody who's hearing this and watching is thinking, really, Jesus? Really, you're going to go to his house of all people? And Jesus is thinking, yes, I came for all people. This is why I've come, to seek and to save the lost. Last week, we looked from John chapter 3, where Corey talked about this pivotal verse, this crowning jewel verse that takes place in this conversation with Nicodemus, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. That is Jesus' heart. He was sent by the Father. And so Jesus goes. He goes where lost people are. That's how he functions. It's how he lives. We would do well to follow an example like that, to do what Jesus did. Because look, it's a good thing to invite someone to church. I pray every one of you have done it. I pray maybe you, you do it within the next week or month. I, I pray, invite people. That's important. But what's more important is to go where they are. To share Jesus' people where they are. Aaron Chambers, he writes in his book, He Eats With Sinners. He writes this. He says, sometimes well-intentioned Christians make it difficult for lost people to find their way back to Jesus. 
If they belong to a large church, they expect people to find their service times, follow the directions on Google Maps, to find an open space in the parking lot, find the right door, find the welcome center, find someone with an Ask Me badge, find their way to the nursery, drop off their child, find their way to the auditorium, and find a seat that doesn't belong to someone else. Find someone to greet during their fellowship time, find a sermon text in their Bible, find their way to the altar, find their way back to their seat, find their way back to the nursery, find their way back to their car and out of the parking lot, find their way home, and then find their way back to church building the next week for the preacher's new sermon series, Seeking the Lost. We could do that, or we could do it like Jesus, and we... Every one of us, every one of you could go where lost people already are. Where are they? They're, they're all around us. They're everywhere. Once you start looking, you'll see them everywhere. They work with you. They play with you. Maybe you, they even live with you. Aaron Chambers says they're sitting next to you in biology class and coaching your daughter's soccer team and complaining that you don't come home for Christmas more often. They're married to your ex-husband. They're sitting in the seat at church in front of you and in the sycamore fig tree next to the road. They're, they're everywhere. Aaron says the outreach programs of most churches seem to be built around the goal of getting lost people to come to church, our spot, which can be effective. But he says, I'd love to see more programs. I would just say, I'd just love to see more Christians going to meet lost people in their spots. Go to the spot. When he reached the spot, Jesus looked up. As Jesus was going, as he was going through those places where lost people were, he noticed him. He saw him. He went where he was, and he looked up to engage with him. This is what we're praying for. This is why we encouraged you here sometime back to to take a live, work, playlist and just begin listing names of people that you live live with or you work with or you you play with. It's the people in your circle, in your oikos, in your relational connections that you do life with who may not know Jesus. They're not in a relationship with Jesus. They're not pursuing Jesus that you could begin praying for right now. Because what happens when you begin to pray for that? Like an avalanche in your possession, suddenly you start seeing and noticing people everywhere who need Jesus, who need a relationship with Jesus It's on our heart. It's on our mind. We're thinking the kinds of things we ought to be thinking about when we pray for those that we live, work, and play with. We see people where they are, then you'll go where they are. Jesus wants us to leave the 99 sheep to go for the lost one. He wants us to move the furniture until that coin is found. He wants us to run out and meet that person who finally, that that son, that daughter who finally turns to begin coming back home. He wants us to go and make disciples of all nations. He wants us to go where the lost people are because fish don't jump in the boat. At least not usually. I know there's that one YouTube video. I've seen it before too. They're driving and they start, they're jumping and it knocks the guy out. I know I've seen that. But I think we all can just agree without that one exception. Fish don't jump in the boat. Soil doesn't jump onto seeds. Disciples don't make themselves. Sheep, coins, Lost sons don't find themselves. We have to go to the spot and look for them. And when Jesus came, he looked up because lost people want to be seen. They need to be seen. And Jesus not only saw Zacchaeus, but then he announced to that entire place, that entire city, I'm going to his house. I'm going to fellowship with him. I'm going to spend time with him. 
I'm, I'm going to where you live. In other words, he was going to lodge there. Spend time there. That's why often when people talk about Zacchaeus and that encounter with Jesus, they kind of lump this into what happens with Levi, Matthew, and what happens with Simon the Pharisee and Simon the leper. I mean, Jesus often went to eat with people. And so a lot of times you hear people talk about Zacchaeus, they're talking about a meal that he has with Zacchaeus at his home. He's staying there, likely eating there, spending time with him, and it works in a powerful way. Zacchaeus feels heard and listened to and mattered. And we read this, that the chief tax collector who stole the money from his fellow Jews, he stood up and he declared that he was going to give half of what he had to the poor. And anybody who he defrauded, he would give them four times back what he took for them. In other words, what he's fulfilling is both the law of Moses and the law of Christ. The law of Moses said in Exodus that if you steal from someone, you should give four times what you stole from them. He's following the law. Apparently he knew it, even though he'd been disobeying it. And now he's going to follow the the law of Christ. This is a new law that he's going to follow, which is to love your neighbor as yourself, to love people. He's going to give half of what he has to the poor. His life is changed. He's not just believing, he's repenting. He's actually doing what Jesus would say for him to do. He's responding to Christ. I mean, what's happening here kind of sounds like what was happening in in Luke chapter 3 earlier when John the Baptist is teaching, and it says there in the text, even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? He said, don't collect any more than you're required to, he told them. Like, be an honest tax collector. I guess you can keep your job and still follow Jesus, which, I mean, until now, I didn't realize that I guess you can be in the IRS and still go to heaven. I mean, that is a new (laughs) revelation for us today from God's word. Kyle Eidelman in his book, One at a Time, he he talks about this moment in Zacchaeus' life and he's like, hey, by dessert, Zacchaeus repented of his sins. He stepped into an abundant eternal life with God. And he just asked, how do you change the world? How do you change someone's life? How do you make someone feel loved? And Kyle would just say, "It's, it's one meal at a time. But that's how Jesus did this. It was one meal at a time. But that's how he connected with people. How he, it involved oftentimes a meal together. I know over the last several weeks, we've already covered a lot of these meals that Jesus had. But Kyle says that sharing a meal creates opportunities for unity, for connecting with people who are different. With a meal, yeah, there may be awkwardness at the appetizer, but man, by the time you're getting in to the main course, there's meaningful conversation. And we move from talking about the weather to talking about our lives, where we're just not just sharing food, but we're sharing our needs and our concerns and our dreams. How a meal can eventually bring people together to connect in ways that are unforced in meaningful ways. And that's what we see with Jesus and Zacchaeus. Jesus, when he sees him, doesn't stop and decide, this is a good time to preach a sermon. He could have, but he doesn't. Instead, he says, I want to make a relational connection with you. I want to spend time with you. I'm going to your house today. And oftentimes when you see Jesus having a meal with people, this is how he seems to have the most significant spiritual interactions with people. Lives were changed. Zacchaeus' life was changed. And who knows how many others because of that. In light of the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about with these meals and even with Zacchaeus. I think we can just say it this way. We must break bread so we can break barriers. There's so many barriers between us and so many of these we, are, we self-create, whether it's from 
politics or social status or religion or race or personal preferences or dogmatic opinions. The fact is, over a meal, you can bring people together. And by doing that, it can even bring people to God. Jesus came to do that. He came not only to break down the barrier between us and God, but Ephesians 2 says to break that barrier between us and other people. The hostility between us, Jesus came to tear it down. And oftentimes, meals were the way that he could do that. There was one study that revealed that the social networks of most people are filled almost exclusively with people who look like them. And Kyle, talking about this, says, I'm not saying this wall of separation is intentional, but I am saying that this wall won't fall down accidentally. Jesus came to do away with those divisions and to show us that we truly are created equal. You think of Galatians chapter 3 where it says, there's no longer, in Christ, there's no longer Jew or Greek or slave or free, male, female. We're, We're one in Christ. This is the heart of our Father. This is the heart of Jesus. But we just keep putting up barriers and walls and divisions between us. And so maybe, like Jesus, you ought to set up a meal with people who could not be more different than you. If you were going to act like Jesus, see people the way Jesus sees them, notice people the way he notices them, perhaps you could set up a meal with someone who looks totally different than you, who acts totally different than you, that thinks totally different than you, who functions in life totally different from you. Perhaps you ought to do that. Because when we're not eating together, we're not fellowshipping together. We're not building unity. I think Peter is a great example of this. He's one of the followers of Jesus And as a Jew, he grew up being taught to discriminate against the Gentiles. That's how he was raised. But for three years, he's with Jesus. And the whole time he's with Jesus, he's seeing what it looks very different with Jesus. That Jesus actually intentionally engaged and loved and valued and reached out to Gentiles. That's what he was taught. But he still struggled with it internally. And on one of those occasions, it was the Apostle Paul that tells us about it. A time when, when Peter showed some of that bigotry, some of his racism was coming out between Jew and Gentile. And, and Paul talks about it to the church in Galatia. He tells this story in Galatians 2, 11 through 16. And in it, this is what Paul says. He says, but when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face for what he did was very wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with Gentile believers who were not circumcised. But afterward, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. As a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy, and even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Man, when you're, when you're not seeing people the way you ought to see them, it, it even leads other people to not see people the way Jesus sees them. When I saw that they were not following the truth of the gospel message, I said to Peter in front of all the others, Since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile, why are you now trying to make these Gentiles follow the Jewish traditions? You and I are Jews by birth, not sinners like the Gentiles, yet we know that a person is not made right, excuse me, I said that wrong, yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Christ Jesus, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we've obeyed the law, for no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. Peter allowed his prejudice to start coming through, and it's interesting that he refused to break bread, to eat 
with the Gentiles. And by not eating and breaking bread with them, he was disfellowshipping from them. There's something about eating a meal together when we come together that can create this incredible opportunity, an intersection for unity and for fellowship with other people. Peter was more like Jesus when he ate with people that were different from him than when he ate with people who were just like him. Maybe you need to be stretched in this area of your life. Perhaps you need to set up some meals with people that are very different from you, look different than you, think different than you, act different than you. Maybe you need to break bread with an international student that's here at MSU or or Drury or one of our local colleges here, and you need to spend some time engaging and interacting with them, someone who's a different nationality. Perhaps you need to break bread with a person who's a different color than you in your own home or in their home. Invite them in. They've had different life experiences and You can share together. This is what Jesus did. He would go to people so different from him. Because breaking bread together can bring people together. This is what happened with Dennis Esteman. Uh, He was a young man who came from Haiti to Florida. And he talked about how he never felt more lonely in those early years than when he was in his school cafeteria. He said it was the school cafeteria where everybody divided up into their groups and into their segments. And here he was coming to America, to Florida, from Haiti. He didn't speak English very well, and he had a Haitian accent. And so he didn't talk much. He didn't engage with people much. He, he felt insecure about that. No one was engaging him. It was some years later that he was inspired to start a club. And he called the club, We Dine Together. We dined together. The goal was that no student would ever eat lunch alone. And in an interview with People Magazine, Dennis said this. He said, long-lasting relationships are built from across the table, and we want to get kids to come out of their comfort zones and realize they have a lot in common, no matter where they're born, what their background is, or whether they speak with an accent. In one way or another, we're all alike. And he just talked about how in high school, there was a teacher that had asked the students what they would most want to change about their high school experience, and the students agreed that it, it, it was lunchtime. What was happening at lunchtime, and he was reflecting back to his own experience at lunchtime growing up in those hard years, and so that's why he decided that he was going to do something different, because in the school he was a part of, he said on one side of the cafeteria, you had the white kids or the popular kids or the well-off kids, or on the other side, you had new kids or kids without money or kids with disabilities, or you had non-white kids, and a lot of those kids felt like they didn't have a friend, they were eating alone, and Dennis and a few friends decided when he was in high school, they would be agents of change. And that they would transform their cafeteria, which they did. And they called it, you know, no one dines together. We dine together. And that's what we do. He brought people together. We're going to fellowship together. We're going to eat together. Here's the question. Who's your Zacchaeus? That would be very different from you. Who is your Zacchaeus who's perhaps very far from God? Who's your Zacchaeus? Who may, maybe he wants to see who Jesus is. May not yet be interested in being following or believing, but wants to know who he is. Who's that Zacchaeus who's, that God could put in your path? Someone who's far from him. Someone who may not feel loved, may not feel valued, may not feel worth saving. Could you reach out to them? Could you just hang out with them? Could you invite them to coffee or to breakfast or to lunch or to dinner? Could you find a way just to relationally connect and spend some time together? That there is something that happens in those moments together, even over a meal 
That's mysterious. It's powerful. And sometimes living on mission to do that will place you in sketchy places. <laughs> or maybe you even feel like, I'm, I'm with a sketchy person. You know, but I don't know where it places you. But in all of those examples, I think those places is where Jesus had the most significant spiritual advancements in the kingdom. It's the stories we read about over and over again. We need to eat with people. This is not about eating more with people. We all know we don't need to eat more. This is about eating with people more. It's eating with people more. You may say, I don't have time. But somehow you found time to eat. It's inviting people into those moments to spend time together. Perhaps over a meal. Why not invite someone into the circle to join you? You might be surprised at the power of a simple invitation. Expressing your interest to know them or to relationally engage with them. God is just hardwired. He's hardwired meals with intimacy and power that can't be explained when we share it together. I'm inspired when I look at Jesus at how he saw people, how he noticed people, how he would go where people were and how he would fellowship and engage them and share life with them. And perhaps a better example than maybe even Zacchaeus would be another meal that Jesus instituted. This is another meal that Jesus had, this time with his disciples, the last supper. We call it communion. Jesus knew the mysterious power of a meal. And he instituted one through something we now call the Lord's Supper. I want to talk about this just for a moment. because, And in fact, as I do, I want to say this too. If you uh, came in today, if you'll just pull out your, the emblems we're going to use for communion today. And if you did not yet grab one of these on your way in, at this very second, right now, would be an appropriate time, a good time to go to one of these tables where the lamps are on in the back. Uh, these, I know these two tables for a fact have communion on them. And you can pick up uh, these prepackaged emblems here to prepare for a time of communion here in a moment. But the night before Jesus was crucified, he shared a meal with his disciples. Luke 22 records him saying that he actually eagerly desired it. Here's the text. And he said to them, I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. Jesus, in this moment, is eagerly desiring to eat together. And in Matthew 26, it tells us that while they were eating, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat, this is my body. And then he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I can still remember... As the years go on, it becomes a little bit more vague, but I can still remember when I was probably in kindergarten, being at a, a Christmas rehearsal 
I think it was on a Saturday. It was a couple hours long. Those of you with children who have even done that here, you know what that's like. I mean, it's, this is taxing on the body of a kindergartner at a young age going through rehearsals for your Christmas program. And I remember they put us all into the communion kitchen, all of us boys. I guess we were shepherds or something, and we had our costumes in there. And we would quickly change, you know, put on these robes and sashes, and we put it all on. And then we were kind of hanging out there waiting to come out, and I think there was probably a teacher out by the door waiting for the right cue to come get us, to send us in. So at rehearsal, you know, we've been there for some time. We're in this room. And in that moment, a bright light shined. And God's provision in that moment to sustain us through the rest of that rehearsal was provided because there we saw on the counter a box of bread. And there in that fridge was juice. All of it for the taking for these young boys. And so we sustained ourselves on bread, and we drank that juice. In fact, we looked forward to going to changing into those costumes before we had to come back out for our scene to practice. And on that day, there was bread and juice to sustain us through our rehearsal, and we went out and we rehearsed, and we did our stuff. Well, fast forward two years later, not two, probably a little bit, something like that, at least two, three years later, whatever. There came a day when I believed in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And I was guilty in my sins. And I repented, confessed those sins, and repented of those sins. And I was baptized into Christ. My dad baptized me. And I came up out of that water clothed in Christ. New conscience forgiven, Holy Spirit empowered, and walked down that steep stairwell, went into the same hallway, changed pretty much in the same room, changing rooms that I'd been in several years before. Only this time, we then walked out two doors down into a room, and there I sat with my family. I think there were two elders in there. And what they passed around in that moment was not some bread and juice, some snacks that sustained me a couple of years before. What they passed around was the body and blood of Jesus. I mean, it was a whole new meaning in that moment. This was something completely different. This was something significant and rich with meaning. Reflecting on a body that had been broken for me and blood that had been poured out for me. And there I sat forgiven and cleansed and free the gift of the Holy Spirit residing in me, the Holy Spirit now empowering me to live a new life with Jesus. And I was now having what we would call a meal, a Lord's Supper, something that was very significant that Jesus instituted on that night with his disciples. That we get to participate here in just a moment. And it is mysterious to commune with Jesus in this way. Because When Jesus took bread, he didn't just eat the bread. He did what we could do right now. It's already been done for you. That's why we're all, it's all in pieces, but but we could do it too. He broke the bread. Because it wasn't bread in and of itself that was the symbol of death. It was the broken bread. The bread ripped apart that represented death. That represented his body 
broken for us. Perhaps when Jesus did it, he was thinking of Isaiah chapter 50, verse 6, where he says, I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. Perhaps his mind in that moment went to Isaiah 52, 14, that he was marred beyond human likeness. This is my body broken for you. He broke the bread. He gave thanks. Eucharisteo, we get the word Eucharist, means give thanks. And then he takes wine. He takes wine. Wine doesn't represent death. Wine represents blood. And blood essentially, especially in Scripture, it represents life, vitality. It wasn't the wine in the cup necessarily. It was the wine poured out to represent the pouring out of his life for us. Jesus would give up his life on our behalf and pour out his life. And what Jesus was doing in this moment was memorializing his death. That we would remember, we remember a body broken, remember blood poured out for us. We were not, he was not memorializing his miracles or his life or his teaching. It was his death on the cross. And when we remember, when we participate, when we celebrate communion every week as we do at this time, we are sharing, you could call it a meal together, where we get vulnerable with Jesus. We align our hearts to his mission. This is the most important meal that we'll participate in, in our lives. And the question is, will you receive his invitation to do this? Zacchaeus warmly and gladly said, yes. Do you receive this invitation as you participate? When you receive the bread, when you receive this juice, the body broken and the blood poured out, do you, in this moment, submit to the invitation of Jesus? Commit your life to the Lord. Repent of your sins. Renew this, knowing that Jesus would say, I'm not going to drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until I do it with you in the kingdom of heaven. We will eat together in heaven. There will be a meal there, but until that day, we partake. I just want you to know, if you're here today and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, you're not yet a believer in Jesus, we, we, we honor and respect you. You do not need to feel obligated to do this. I pray that soon there'll be a day like Zacchaeus where you would believe and you would repent and that you would follow Jesus with your life. I mean, Jesus told Zacchaeus, salvation has come to this house. His faith was credited to him as, as righteousness. I pray that for you. But for all who have made this decision, we want to receive this now. So at this time, let's receive the body of the Lord that was broken for us and remember him. Let's now receive the cup representing the blood of Jesus that was poured out for us for the forgiveness of our sins. Jesus, you are the giver of life. You sustain our souls. 
Jesus, you are the one who gives us everything we need for life and godliness. You're the one that heals us, forgives us, redeems us. And Jesus, we thank you that you, you sought us out. You looked for us. You pursue us. Jesus, you, you came from heaven to earth. You lived a sinless, perfect life. You're obedient to death, to death on the cross. You have saved us and redeemed us and given us new life, and we thank you for that. Jesus, we pray that as we reflect on what you have, the great lengths to which you've gone to save us, may we have eyes to see others. May we go to others. May we share this news with them. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. I just want to invite you at this time to consider this as we come to a conclusion here. But, you know, in Luke chapter 19 that we read earlier, Jesus said this. He said to Zacchaeus, today salvation has come to this house because this man, he's pointing at Zacchaeus, this man too, he's a son of Abraham. That would have been shocking to those who heard it. Because as R.C. Foster notes, tax collectors were regarded as having forfeited their birthright as sons of Abraham. They weren't welcome in temple worship. They weren't clean to do, be a part of that. They had forfeited their rights. They're not welcome into a synagogue. Here Jesus says, this man has received salvation. He is a son of Abraham because he's come by faith. Just as Abraham, faith was credited as righteousness. So Zacchaeus' faith is credited as righteousness. He's a child of God. That's his identity. He got a new identity, not tax collector. Child of Abraham. He's a child of God. He's to be honored even among his own people. I declare that he is saved. And then Jesus said this in Luke 19.10, I've come to seek and to save the lost. My prayer today is our next steps. First of all, is that we would see people. Not for who they are, but for who they're supposed to be. For who Jesus will make them into. We must see people where they are. We can start by praying for lost people. That would help us see them and notice them. We must go to people where they are. We must break bread and break down the barriers. It's not about eating more. It's about eating with people more. Where you would just say, who is the Zacchaeus in my life that God has put near me? That I can invite into a meal, into a relationship this week. I just want you to know today, we want to pray with you for that. And so right now, we have a prayer team. They're going to be around the room here. They're going to be at the front of the sides of the stage and at the sides of the room in the middle of the room. And they've already been praying for you. They probably already prayed with some of you, but they're here today to pray with you. And perhaps there's someone on your live work playlist that's coming to mind, and you would love for them to pray with you for that person. That they could pray for God to give you the courage or to open doors for you to, to have fellowship or a meal with someone and help them know Jesus as well. Perhaps you just got a need or something you're dealing with and you just want to pray with someone. They're here to pray with you right now and can do that. Or perhaps you want to begin a relationship with Jesus. Or you want to place membership in this church. You just have a need you want to share. I would love to meet with you. I want to be stepping out to Decision Point right over here and would love to visit and talk with you there. Or take the card in front of you in your seat or use the texting or the the, the the website address on the screen, and that can begin a conversation with us for the next steps that Jesus will be calling you to. But at this time, let's, let's stand together in the identity that Jesus has given us as his children, and let's pray.
together and respond to what Jesus would have us do. Thanks for joining us this morning, Northside. Before you go, make sure you check in and let us know you were here. Text the word CHECK to 417-233-1200. If you want to respond to today's service, you can do that online through Decision Point. If you want to know more about baptism or becoming a member, you can request more info at northsidechristianchurch.net slash decision. This is also the place to find out about our life groups, find out what sort of service opportunities there are, or if you just need to get in touch with a minister. And if you're online, you probably use social media too. Make sure you're following along with Northside on our Facebook page, Instagram account, YouTube channel, or Twitter. We are glad that you chose to join us this morning. As we head out for the week, let's make sure we take the love of God with us. Take good care of each other, Northside.